Hello, this is Father John Arthur Orr, the Associate Pastor at Holy Ghost Catholic Church in Knoxville, Tennessee. In our last program, we were going over, I believe in the Holy Catholic Church, the ninth article of the Apostles' Creed as it's found in the Catechism of the Catholic Church. This is our third program on this ninth article of the Creed. The Catechism summarizes this article of the Creed in 40 sections and 40 in brief statements. We'll go over so many of them this program and we'll complete the ninth article, I believe in the Holy Catholic Church. Today we begin with number 934. By divine institution, that means God set it up, there are in the church among the faithful sacred ministers who in law are also called clerics. As for the others, they are called laity. So here we see the ordained and the lay faithful, all called to believe in Jesus, all worshiping Jesus. There are finally faithful who belong to one and the other category, and who by profession of the evangelical councils, that is, the councils given in the gospel, gospel advice, poverty, chastity, and obedience, because Christ is poor, Christ is chaste, Christ is obedient unto death, death on a cross, are consecrated to God and serve also the mission of the church. Here we're referred to the Code of Canon Law, Codex Iurisi Canonici, Canon 207, paragraphs 1 and 2. So we have the clergy, the laity, and the religious. Threefold membership of the church on earth, all called to be saints, not just the monks and the nuns, not just the brothers and the sisters, the bishops or the priests or the deacons, not just the laity, all of us called to be saints. To announce the faith and to implant his kingdom, Christ sends his apostles and their successors. Who are the successors to the apostles? The bishops, Benedict the Sixteenth in Rome, John Paul before him, Richard Sticca here now in Knoxville, before him Joseph Kurtz, to announce the faith, to proclaim the faith, to explain the teachings of Jesus Christ, and to implant his kingdom. We read about church implantation in the scripture. Paul would go where no one else had gone before. There are still places, still hamlets, where the gospel has not been heard or was heard once some time ago and needs to be heard afresh. This is the new evangelization. Three generations to atheism, God forbid. Let us be attentive to hear the gospel, to speak the gospel, to live the gospel, to grow the kingdom. The Lord Jesus gives the successors to the apostles, even as he gave to his apostles, part of his own mission. And what was his mission? Not only to save us, but to give the good news, to remind us who is God and who we are, made in his image. From him, from Jesus, the apostles and their successors received the power to act in his person. The apostles and their successors, the bishops, act in the person of Christ the head, in persona Christi capitis. The Lord has made St. Peter the visible foundation of his church. Catholics are very happy to read St. Matthew chapter 16. You are Peter, and on this rock I build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. 
What you bind on earth is bound in heaven. What you loose on earth is loosed in heaven. And these words are written in Latin in letters larger than six feet around the dome of St. Peter's, over the tomb of the Prince of the Apostles. The Lord has made St. Peter the visible foundation of his church. Notice that the Lord Jesus uses the singular and the personal. You are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, not one of many churches, but the one only church which we pray in the creed is holy, Catholic, and apostolic. The Lord Jesus gives to Peter the keys. The bishop of the Church of Rome, successor of St. Peter, is the chief of the College of Bishops, the vicar of Christ and pastor of the entire church on this earth. See the Code of Canon Law, Codex Iuris Canonici, Canon 331. If you see the flag of Vatican City State, the yellow and white, there's the crown, the tiara, threefold crown, but also the keys. Those are the keys from Matthew 16. The sign of authority, not just the sign of the concierge in a fine hotel. This college of bishops is the whole body of the bishops, cum et sub Petrus, with and under Peter. It's one thing for us to be with Peter, it's another thing for us to be under Peter. We have to be both. He was the head of the apostolic band. The Pope enjoys by divine institution, that means God set it up, Jesus is God, supreme, full, immediate, universal power for the charge of souls. Here, the Catechism of the Catholic Church is quoting the Second Vatican Council's Decree on the Ministry and Life of Bishops, Christus Dominus, Christ the Lord, Article 2. Supreme, that is, there's no one over the Pope except God. Full, that means not lacking. Immediate, over each and every one, not needing an intermediary. Huh? The Pope is my Pope, he's your Pope, he's the Pope for all people. Universal power for the charge of souls. Why do we listen to the Pope? Why do we study the writings of the Pope? Because Jesus said, he who hears you hears me. Even as the Lord Jesus only spoke what he had learned from the Father. So the bishops of Rome speak on matters of faith and morals in a binding way for our salvation, not making up new doctrines, but defending the one only faith given once for all. That's why Christ the Lord founded his church, to save us. Surely our Lord is at least as insightful as were the founding fathers of our country, who established a way to perpetuate the governance, elections, different branches of government, you name it. The bishops, established by the Holy Spirit, succeed the apostles. They, the bishops, are each one for his part the visible principle and foundation of the unity in their particular churches. Here, the Catechism of the Catholic Church is citing the dogmatic constitution on the Church of the Second Vatican Council, Lumen Gentium, Article 23. So as the Pope is the universal shepherd, any particular bishop is the visible head, the visible foundation of the local church, the particular church. These 36 counties of easternmost Tennessee, the particular church, which is the Diocese of Knoxville, 
if we would act apart from Bishop Sticca or his successors or his predecessors, woe to us. Aided by the priest, their cooperators, priests cooperating with their bishops, and the deacons, three grades of holy orders, we'll speak about that later, the bishops have the charge to teach authentically the faith, to celebrate the divine cult above all the Eucharist, and to lead the church in various fields. Here we see a threefold ministry, a threefold work, a threefold responsibility. Teach, worship, lead. Teach, govern, and sanctify, I would say elsewhere. Teach authentically the faith. Who are the authentic teachers? The bishops. We see after their names the letters DD, Doctor of Divinity. It's an honorific so often because they teach us by the grace of the sacrament of holy orders, the faith which is to believe, the good we are to do, the evil we too are to avoid. When the Catechism uses this phrase, a divine cult, don't think David Koresh or Charles Manson. These are cults in the pejorative. But the root of the word culture is cult, that is, adoration, the worship of the one only God. And the greatest act of cult given to Christians is to do what the Lord commanded us on the night before he died. Do this in memory of me. And so we give thanks each time we approach the altar of God. Each time the Holy Mass is celebrated, the sacrifice of the altar offered to the Eternal Father, to his praise and glory for our redemption. The bishops are the great high priest of the diocese, with and under Peter, the head of the church on earth. The various fields in which the bishops lead us are not only religious, spiritual, but also cultural. Not cultural only in the sense of the divine cult, the worship of God on our knees with our hands folded, listening to the scripture, things like that, but also the arts. Also, education. How many hospitals? How many schools? How many charities? These are various fields. To the charge of the bishops belongs also the care of all the churches with and under the Pope. Cum et sub Petrus, huh? With and under Peter. So even though a bishop of a diocese has immediate concern over his particular territory, it does not give him permission to forget the whole, to forget the rest of the mystical body of Christ, which is Mother Church. And this is done, this care, with the Pope, with the Bishop of Rome, the universal bishop. The proper state of the laity, that is, those who are not ordained and those who have not professed the vows of religion, poverty, chastity, and obedience, single people, married people, lay people. The proper state of the laity is to maintain their life in the midst of the world, secularity, and profane affairs, worldly affairs. The Lord Jesus assures us in the gospel we are to be in the world but not of the world. The laity are called by God to exercise their apostolate. See here the root word apostle, one who is sent, and the laity are sent into the world, 
in the manner of yeast, thanks to the vigor of their Christian spirit. Here the Catechism cites the decree on the Apostolate of the Laity of the Second Vatican Council, Apostolicum Actuosum, Article 2. To the degree that the people of God are holy, the laity, then the world will be transformed. How many would a priest be able to speak to, or a bishop, or a deacon? Please God, the bishops, the priests, and the deacons, they do speak about the Lord and to the Lord. But if they're joined by all the laity, if they're joined by all the religious, then the gospel does not go unheard. All hear and all worship, and all grow in holiness by God's grace. A fine measure of yeast makes the whole loaf rise. So too, zealous Christians spread the gospel in the world, transforming society from within. The laity participate in the priesthood of Christ. Christ is the one only priest. The ordained they share by ordination in his ministerial priesthood, but all of the baptized share in the royal priesthood of Christ. More and more united to him, the laity deploy the grace of baptism and confirmation. Those are two of the three sacraments of initiation. In all the dimensions of personal life, family life, social life, and ecclesial life, they realize also the call to holiness addressed to all the baptized. How wonderful to see this very deep and broad vision Mother Church has for us in our personal lives, in our family lives, in our social lives, in our ecclesial lives, or our lives within the church. Four different facets, if you like. We're to allow the gospel to permeate all of these places and more. What a wonderful vision. Thanks to their prophetic mission, the laity are also called to be, in all circumstances, and at the heart of the human community, witnesses of Christ. Not just Jehovah's witness, if Jehovah means God, uh, but witnesses of Christ, the eternal Son made man. Here, the Catechism of the Catholic Church is citing the pastoral constitution on the church in the modern world, Gaudium et Spes, Hope and Joy, Article 43. The Catechism has told us about the royal priesthood of the baptized, told us here about the prophetic mission of the baptized. Soon enough, we'll be reminded of the royal mission of the baptized to govern themselves and all of society according to the holy law of God inscribed in our hearts, in our very human nature, but also revealed on Sinai's height. These are the truths which Mother Church concerns herself about in her preaching, in her teaching, in her public ministries. This is that divine institution which we call Mother Church. Her sacred ministers, the priests, the bishops, the deacons, her religious, the monks and the nuns, the brothers and the sisters, her laity, how many saints from each and all of these different walks of life, those who have embraced the counsels, the vows of religion, poverty and chastity and obedience, those who spread the gospel, 
lettered or not, holiness is the greatest way to spread the gospel. Why does so-and-so act in such and such a way? Because he loves the Lord. When the Catechism of the Catholic Church speaks to us about this threefold membership in the church, the laity, the religious, the hierarchy, this is in contradistinction to some who would just speak about the universal priesthood of all believers and never speak about the ministerial priesthood, the hierarchical ministry of holy orders. Not to say that one is better than the other. They're different ministries, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, many different gifts, but the same Spirit who is in all and over all. This divine institution of the papacy is a safeguard we have from God. Lo, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I am with you all days, even until the end of the age. Those words spoken to Peter and his brother apostles and their successors are the Pope, the Bishop of Rome, and his brother bishops throughout the world, united in faith and morals, in worship. The Catechism of the Catholic Church continues its presentation on the ninth article of the Creed, I believe, in one holy Catholic and apostolic church, by reminding us that the laity have a royal mission by which they have the power to tear up the empire, the rule, the reign of sin in themselves and in the world by self-denial and the holiness of their lives. Here, the Council Vatican II's Dogmatic Constitution on the Church, Lumen Gentium, Article 36, is cited. Royal mission, a mission of governance, Self-governance is to keep the commandments of the Holy God that we might be as holy people, all possible and only possible by God's grace in us. Life consecrated to God is characterized by public profession of the evangelical counsels of poverty, chastity, and obedience in a stable state of life recognized by the church. There are so many different religious institutes of men and women religious, consecrated persons in the world, deepening their baptismal consecration, living a life more closely modeled on that of the Lord Jesus, who, though rich, became poor, that we might be found rich in his grace and mercy, who was chaste, born of a chaste mother, calling us all to that integrated sexuality, not to be lustful people, to be pure of heart, as he calls us in the Beatitudes. And we know the Lord was obedient unto death, death on a cross. So the monks and the nuns, the brothers and the sisters, the religious, who live those holy vows, they are recognized by the church as being signposts along the way. In a stable state of life, this reminds us that the vows are taken by so many as perpetual vows for life. There's a period of postulancy, there's a period of novitiate, 
there's a period of temporary profession and then perpetual profession. This often is the stage of progression in the religious life. The novitiate is at least a year and a day. Some congregations, some groups of religious, they have more than a year, but at least a year. The candidacy and postulancy, those times can vary before the novitiate. This way, the candidates for religious life, they get to see what life is like in the institute, and the institute gets to see what this candidate is like, if it's a good match, if it is part of God's mysterious providence. And after so much preparation, after so much time living the vows in temporary profession, those vows are made for life, the stable state of life recognized by the Church. The rule of St. Benedict, the rule of St. Augustine, the rule of St. Basil. So many different monastic rules, religious rules of life then complemented by constitutions of the various different institutes dedicated to one or another specific ministry, helping in hospitals or helping in schools or preaching, care of certain communities. All of these, the religious, the laity, the hierarchy, all part of the one only church founded by Christ the Lord. Giving to God supreme love, the one whom baptism has destined to him is found in a state of consecrated life, vows more intimately to divine service and dedicated to the good of all the church. When a monk or a nun, a brother or a sister professes the vows of religion, poverty, chastity, obedience, these vows are undertaken not only for the good of the one who makes them, but for the good of all the church, to be at the greater disposition of service for the whole church. So there are missionary orders. There are orders or communities of diocesan right, which exist in the diocese and serve at the pleasure of the bishop. And then there are institutes or orders of pontifical right, who serve in the various dioceses, but in a real sense at the pleasure of the Holy Father, the Bishop of Rome, the universal bishop. This way the gospel will not go unheard. How many Franciscan missionaries or Jesuit missionaries or Dominican missionaries have been sent out throughout the ages? Even the Benedictine missionaries sent from Rome to England in the time of St. Augustine of Canterbury. The church is missionary of her nature, and so many of the missionaries have been religious. That is to say, they live the counsels, the vows of poverty, chastity, obedience for life. The church is communion of saints. This expression designates, first of all, the holy things, the sancta, and before all, the Eucharist, by which is represented and realized the unity of the faithful who in Christ form one single body. Here, the Catechism of the Catholic Church cites the dogmatic constitution on the Church of the Second Vatican Council, Lumen Gentium, Article 3. Sancta Sancti, the communion of saints, the communion of holy things, the holy ones, 
nothing more holy than the Eucharist, since it is Christ himself, who is one with the Father and the Spirit, the all-holy God. The term communion of saints also designates the communion of holy persons, sancti, in Christ, who has died for all, such that which each one makes or suffers in and for Christ carries fruit for all. The term solidarity has received a lot of attention in our day, and we see it reflected in the ancient creed. When one does well, it is good for all. When one suffers, uniting those sufferings to Christ, it carries blessing for all, even as Christ's death and resurrection is applicable to all. We believe in the communion of all the faithful of Christ. Of those who are pilgrims on the earth, the dead who are achieving their purification, of the blessed of heaven, all together form one single church. We believe that in this communion, the communion of saints, the merciful love of God and of his saints is always to hear our prayers. Here the Catechism of the Catholic Church cites Pope Paul VI's solemn profession of faith. We see the threefold nature of the church explicated in heaven, on earth, and in purgatory. This hearing of prayers, God always hears them, and so too his saints on high, and they intercede for us with the good God who heard their prayers before. They say, Lord, have mercy on these people. St. Thomas More, patron of politicians and lawyers, St. Joseph, patron of workers, St. Cecilia, patroness of musicians, the list goes on and on, St. Rita, saint of those with difficult family situations, St. Monica, a special patron for mothers, how many different saints with how many special attentions, St. Rock, St. Peregrine for those who suffer illness and cancer. The saints hear our prayers, and because they're friends with God, they speak with him on our behalf, even as we speak to God on behalf of others. They're part of our prayer chain. In the pronouncing the fiat, let it be done to me according to thy word, of the Annunciation, and in giving her consent to the mystery of the Incarnation, when Christ the Lord was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit, Mary collaborated previously to all the work that her son must accomplish. She is the mother above all when he is Savior and head of the mystical body. Remember how he gave her to us as our mother as he was dying on the cross. Ecce Mater Tua, behold your mother. And the beloved St. John, he took her to himself. Now all Christ's faithful call her their mother too, and like any good mother, she cares for her children. We cannot have God as our father if we do not have the church as our mother and Mary as our mother, for she is the mother of God. Wouldn't you like to have her look after your needs as she looked after the needs of the Lord Jesus? The Most Holy Virgin Mary, having accomplished the course of her earthly life was elevated body and soul to the glory of heaven, where she participates again in the glory of the resurrection of her son, anticipating the resurrection of all the members of his body. While the Catechism doesn't use the word assumption here, that is the mystery it's speaking about, 
which is celebrated in the liturgy of the church each summer on the 15th of August. We believe that the Most Holy Mother of God, the New Eve, Mother of the Church, continues in heaven her maternal role in regard to the members of Christ. Here again, the Catechism of the Catholic Church cites Pope Paul VI's solemn profession of faith, which he pronounced at the conclusion of the Second Vatican Council. May Our Lady, Mother of the Church, Mother of God, intercede for you always. Until next time, God bless you.